You know, when you're a parent, your job is just never done. You don't get enough sleep. You don't get enough praise. You don't get enough gratitude. You just It's just a space of never enough. I mean, I don't want to say praise because, you know, you chose this life, so there's no reason to be praised for it. But you don't really get any gratitude from the people that you are doing things for. And you don't get that much. You don't get the sleep that you used to get before you started having children. And you definitely don't have the freedom to move about, you know, the planet unless you're one of them traveling families. You don't really get to move around the way you used to. You're tethered to school schedules. You're tethered to whether a child is sick or not. You're tethered to whether you have daycare or babysitting or what have you until they become teenagers. And then once they become teenagers, you're kind of like sitting by the window, hoping, wishing, praying, making sure, wanting that they come home intact in one piece, happy and healthy until they're grown. And then when they're grown, the worry continues. But that all comes with the territory. You chose this life, deal with it. Whether that's therapy, whether that's group stuff, whether that's your wife, your baby mama, your co-parent, whatever, you know, you deal with it. The one thing I personally cannot stand about being a parent is paperwork. Paperwork is never ending. I am always filling out some form or refilling out some form or debating with some administrator that I already paid or filled out a form. Whether that's an immunization that, I, that they don't have that I know I turned in, whether that's a bill I paid, whether that's me being, being overcharged, or whether that's me going to the doctor talking about, didn't I already fill this out? Why I got to fill this out again? I do my best to be polite because I know they're just doing their job, but it's so annoying. Parents know what I'm talking about. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You feel my pain. So on one random day in the fall of 2018, I had to once more yet again verify that I filled out something that I know I filled out and turned it in. And the way my house is set up is that my personal documents are tucked away into a hidden space that, you know, I guess if I got robbed, you'd find it easy enough, but they're hidden away from visitors. When I was married and we were living in the townhome that we used to live in, I had this like what I thought was a attractive little nook space tucked away in the corner of our living room. My ex-wife absolutely hated it. And in retrospect, because I no longer believe in being right, I believe in being in relationship and being in agreement. You know, maybe I could have moved it down to the basement um, and had it in the corner there or, you know, I don't know, put it in somewhere. I mean, I think if she had had things her way, she would have had it like out in back of the house. I digress to say I have my stuff in a closet tucked away in my home now my file cabinets my paperwork and everything is pretty organized even my bag of wires everything is pretty organized so on this one particular day I was looking for a form that I needed to fill out I don't know if it was social security card social security number for one of them one of the children more than likely the youngest because the oldest is grown so on this one particular random day some papers kind of fell on me from up top of this shelving unit that I have I was up on my step stool trying to dig through a box that I had and some cardstock fell on me. I look at the cardstock, I pick it up off the ground. It's in my daughter's handwriting, but my daughter's handwriting from when she was a child and not the teenager that she is now. And it says, no fighting, no hating, if at all, sign your name. I looked at it and <laughs> kind of scratched my, scratched my head. And then I'm thinking, maybe she meant no fighting, no hating at all. Sign your name. But whatever. She was younger. 
and it's in the penmanship is perfect. It's in red marker, probably Sharpie, and it's fading. Underneath that, she writes, this is for the grown-ups. If you won't sign, come to me. And her name is in parentheses, I guess so we would know who she was. Keep the family together for me, exclamation point. Again, her name was written after that so that we would know that it was from her. Don't follow these rules and you're in trouble. If heard, sign name. Can't stand the poster board? We will have a family meeting. That's written down the side of the poster board. And at the top of the page, just like the elementary school student she was, her name was written, just like it was for all her homework assignments. At my feet was another thing that fell. Something else fell, and when I saw it and went to pick it up, I knew exactly what it was. It was a parchment-colored envelope, and on the other side, there was a judge's name written as the return address, and my address was on it. I didn't have to open it up to know that it was my divorce decree, and I didn't open it up because I only go to that when I have to prove that I'm divorced or, I don't know, the rare times that I have to prove that I'm divorced. I have to... I, that's the only time that I visited. And it was kind of funny that while I was looking for documentation for my child, this thing that she wrote fell on me. I honestly don't remember the document. I don't remember. I, I honestly don't remember it. I don't remember when she brought it into what clearly she had to have brought it in our bedroom or to the dining room table and presented it to the both of us. There's only one signature on it, and it's mine. And I can't even imagine what she went through not getting two signatures on that poster board. She's a pretty thorough kid, so I know she probably came back to retrieve it. And as I sat there looking at this thing, my heart broke for her and for us just a little bit as I moved forward with my own personal mending. This was a reminder that in the blast radius of my divorce, there was collateral damage. People who didn't ask to be here in the first place and definitely didn't ask to be introduced into a world of drama that didn't have anything to do with them. A lot of times when people get divorced, the parents will walk away from the thing and say, well, at least, you know, we got this beautiful child out of the union. I'm so glad that I have a child to show for this. Or, you know, some people have heard, I've heard some I've heard it said much more crassly as, I have a wonderful child from the sperm donor. As I looked at that paper and saw my child's earnest hope that the adults in her life would do the right thing. And as she pled for her family, only for it to crumble, for reasons that were ultimately selfish, I mean selfish meaning Whatever your reasons are, they're your reasons. And if those reasons aren't taking into consideration other individuals, then in essence, they are selfish. I'm not using selfish as a bad word. I'm using selfish in the true sense that it was created. My daughter's plea wasn't honored. It just made me wonder or just reminded me that I hadn't done right by her. I brought a child in, into the world with a woman that I no longer was involved with. And I really sat there and wondered, what could I have done differently to avoid her? Her coming into existence, that was pointless because she's here. So my next thought was, what could I have done to ensure we were still under the same roof and we were still a happy home? And that was when I went down the rabbit hole 
of my past. Welcome to the Dating After Divorce Survival Guide. After getting his master's degree and getting cursed out, his second master's in getting kicked out, Eric Payne decided to pursue his doctorate in getting his life right and staying in his own lane. But upon getting all his degrees, he realized he was a fish out of water in this new dating landscape. Eric was 28 years old when he met his ex-wife and was newly divorced at 43. The world had changed considerably since the days of StarTech beepers, Motorola flip phones, and Yahoo Chat. It is vicious out here in these new streets where taking pictures of yourself all day long with a phone and posting them on the internet is actually a thing. The Dating After Divorce Survival Guide is the story of Eric's journey from love and marriage to divorce to dating to hopefully love and marriage once more. Somewhere between 2000 and 2003, my then-girlfriend, eventually wife, ultimately ex-wife, asked me a very simple question. What are your thoughts on abortion? I don't have any thoughts on abortion. What do you mean you don't have any thoughts on abortion? How do you not have a thought on something? I've never thought about it. It doesn't affect me. I mean, I can't make babies. I mean, I can't carry them. It doesn't affect me. It doesn't impact me. Well, not having an opinion is an opinion. What? She got a little miffed at me, and we kind of left it there. I was barely 30 at the time, and age isn't really an excuse because kids of this day and age, teenagers, my daughter, have all kind of opinions about matters that are of importance. But I had no opinion on abortion. I just wasn't versed enough in the subject to even feel like I could speak on it. I, mean, I can't carry babies. What, what, what do I look like having an opinion on something that I have no right to have an opinion on? And I think that that's where it began for me. But it was a little bit more deep-seated than that. But then as fate would have it, three years into my relationship with my ex-wife, when we were simply dating, she got pregnant. What do I do? What do we do? And I didn't have an answer. I didn't say yes I didn't say no. What I didn't do was express excitement over the possibility of being a father, even though all my life I had envisioned being a family man and not on some romantic, you know, uh, fairy tale type thing. But I just was like, oh, it'd be cool to be a dad and, you know, have kids and a dog and kids like running all over the house, like driving me crazy. Be careful what you wish for. And. And I remember when I was 25 years old, I saw a guy walking with his child, carrying his child. And she was like, Daddy, Daddy, don't drop me. And I remember thinking how cool that was. He was wearing a Woolrich coat. He was on the corner of 34th Street in Manhattan, avoiding the slush pole, the slush puddles formed by the snow as a bus was coming towards all of us on this curb when we we're getting ready to cross Avenue of the Americas. I remember that with vivid detail. I remember saying to myself, that's me. I could see myself doing that. I could see that. But in this moment, when I'm unmarried and simply dating someone that I'm not sure I'm going to marry because we're just dating and getting to know each other, being faced with a pregnancy, being faced with a pregnancy and having no opinion on abortion and never having broached any of these subjects, never talking about what it means to actually be a dad what it means to be responsible, what it means to be accountable. I froze and I said nothing. Actually, I said something. I said, what are you going to do? She looked at me. 
what am I going to do? <laughs> okay. She said something along the lines of, I don't know why no one wants to make it official with me. Now, clearly that was from some past thing. I don't know what that was. It didn't really apply to me. But I felt the weight of that statement. I froze. I had nothing to say. I had nothing to offer. I had nothing to give. Hey everyone, it's Eric. Thanks as always for listening. As fate would have it, I'm going to be in Los Angeles on Saturday, November 13th, 2021. That's this Saturday. And since the world has opened up just a little bit, I'd love to meet you. I'm hosting a very small meetup with listeners on the 13th. Attendance is going to be extremely limited, and it's going to be on a first-come, first-served basis. So please email me at info at datingafterdivorce.guide. That's info at datingafterdivorce.guide for details, and I hope to see you there. Now back to our regularly scheduled programming. I was weirdly in silence from that point forward because the truth of the matter was, yeah, I'd always wanted to be a dad. And truthfully, you know, who's ready to be a, a parent? You know, it's not like, unless you're really practicing to become parents or you're, you know, you're working on having a child, you don't know whether it's going to happen or not. Most times it's a surprise, not an oops, a surprise. But there was more at play than me simply not being ready. I wasn't married. I didn't know what my mama would think. I didn't know how it would be, how I would be viewed. I wasn't sure I was going to marry this woman. There were so many factors that had nothing to do with Two things, the mental health and physical wellness of the woman that was potentially going to be carrying my child. I clammed up and she kind of took over. And over those next few days, you know, there were sideways comments that started coming my way. You're good enough to lay down with me, but not good enough to like be a dad. You're good enough to lay down with me, but not, you know, but afraid of what it's going to look like to your mama. Even though I never said that. I guess it could be inferred or implied or she could pick up on that energy. Didn't take too long for her to make a decision. And I guess because I had pretty much checked out, even though I was physically there, she decided to not proceed with what would have been my first biological child. And I was relieved. And I remember, what do you need me to do? How do I need to get involved? What do I need to, you know, what do I need help with? She had picked a place. She told me how much it was going to cost and she wanted and she asked for me to go and be there with her and there was no reason for me not to be. We planned for the day. The day came. I picked her up and we drove out to where it was that this procedure was going to happen. And I remember when we got there, she checked in, filled out the paperwork, and we found out that the money that we had brought was not enough. Can you go and get the difference? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, sure, I guess I'll go look for ATM or something, like, whatever. That was my response. Went to the front desk. Well, where's there an ATM? Lady told me where it was. We were waiting, so I had time. Our appointment wasn't for a little bit anyway. I get to the ATM, which is about a block and a half away, and I'm withdrawing the additional money. And I hear a voice to bring a little bit of divinity into it. God God speaks to us in multiple ways, but I've never been one of those people that said, well, the Lord told me because the Lord ain't never told me nothing. He speaks to me through people. He speaks to me through circumstances and he speaks to me through revelation. 
But as far as hearing his voice or a voice or her voice, nah. It's been pretty quiet over here. I don't see a time on a clock, 747, and be like, the Lord told me to get on a 747. It's not how that happens in my life. But while I'm at this ATM, I have a very, very, very quiet whisper. Very quiet and extremely unfamiliar. Not the little voices in my head, or maybe it was a new one, but not the little voices in my head that, you know, when you're talking to yourself and you're like, nah, don't do that, or yeah, do that, or man, I got to bust it out at the gym, or come on, you can finish that extra mile. You know that voice. That's you. This was foreign to me. I can't tell you whether it was it was soft and it was low, but I can't tell you like whether it was a African-American voice or a Caucasian-American voice or whoever's voice. I can't tell you anything about it. It was just a voice. And it spoke in a whisper. And it said, don't do this. And I froze. And as the money was coming out of the ATM, I turned and sprinted down the street back to the center because don't do this only meant one thing in that given the circumstances. And when I got inside, I burst through the door to come grab her up and tell her, come on, let's do this. Let's make this happen. Let's blah, blah, blah. And she was gone. They came and got her early. Now, if I had been the man that I am now, I probably would have burst through the back and grabbed my woman and my child to be and just left. Go and get some breakfast or something. But that's not who I was back then. And I sat down. Lost, alone, defeated, and not knowing what to do. I have never been in a situation where I did not know what to do at all. I have known to run away from things. I have known to run into things. I have known to fight. I have known to not fight. I have known to try. I have known to give up. But I have never, never, never not known what to do the way I didn't know what to do in this particular situation. I sat there lost and defeated. And when she came from the back, she was groggy and disoriented. And we did, in fact, go to get food but she couldn't keep it down. She threw up in front of me. I took her home. I went home. And we didn't talk that night. After the dust settled, which was what happens between two people when dust settles a couple days, a couple hours, there were no cell phones back then, just beepers. So a couple days passed, a couple days of silence, and we reconnected, and she had a different resolve. And what she told me was that she was counting on me to do the right thing. And I didn't. She was counting on me to be there with her. And I abandoned her. I let her go back there by herself, even though she sent me to the ATM, even though the lady at the front sent me to the ATM, even though they told me literally that the procedure could not happen unless she paid. She essentially said that I was a day late and a dollar short. And I said I didn't know what to do. 
and that wasn't good enough. And I said that I was sorry, and she said it's too late. That isn't good enough. And then she cried. And I tried to hold her, but she didn't want to be held by me. And I remember leaving that whole experience shell-shocked. And I called a friend, one of my closest friends. And her words were harsher than what I expected. She said, don't believe the hype. It's a friend that goes back to teenage days, my best friend from college. And she told me, don't believe the hype. No one put a gun to her head. Because if she wanted that baby, y'all would be having this baby. Don't let her whip you with that kind of guilt. I mean, definitely you should have stepped up or said something or done more, you know, whatever. But you didn't make her get an abortion. You didn't, if, if, if you're telling the truth, you didn't even say abortion. I never said a word about abortion. I, I, I couldn't even bring myself to use the word abortion. But what came out of that whole thing, my indecision created a watershed of events that followed that led to her breaking up with me, led to her parading some guy that she met around, at least not, not necessarily in front of me, but within my knowledge, who was in charge and responsible and blah, blah, blah. She told me I wasn't good enough and that I was a day late and a dollar short. And that time period of, uh, of ours passed. We broke up. We got back together. We fell in love, and we got married. But she never recovered from that experience, and nor did I, because no matter what I did from that point forward, no matter what I did with our son, no matter what I did with our daughter, no matter what I did at the house, no matter what I did anywhere, no matter what I accomplished, no matter what, what I kept hearing was that I was a day late and a dollar short, and I wasn't enough. I wasn't good enough. I didn't have enough. I was not enough. And I remember reading something before we got married, and when I realized we were going on our way to breaking up, when we were simply girlfriend and boyfriend, that when people go through an abortion and it's not like something that's wanted or, you know, not a pretty situation where, you know, the person wants it or the couple decides that it's something that they want to do together and blah, 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 that the probability of those people, I don't, I wish I knew the statistic, but I don't remember it. Um, I don't remember where I read it because it was too long ago. Probability of bouncing back from the repercussions, the mental and emotional toll of an abortion is almost impossible, especially without counseling. And back then it wasn't cool for black people to get counseling. Not black men anyway. And the type of black man I was, I was like, that's what God and Jesus is for. I ain't going to no man for help. But that's what happens when you grow up based on dogma and misconstrued beliefs. And we're just at a different point in time now where stigmas have been released and lifted from these things. And here's a newsflash. God made therapists too. Traveling down the rabbit hole of one if, as I stood in my closet, as I looked at a sheet of cardstock with my daughter's elementary school handwriting all over it, what if I had done more? What if I had been more? What if I had said more? Would we still be a family 
would she still have both of her parents 24-7? Would this plea that she made be honored by both parents? We'll never know. Because what if is pure conjecture? What if is based on a series of circumstances that you as the person thinks up? Wondering if things could have gone differently. Doesn't matter. Didn't happen. There's no way to even speculate how it could have happened because it didn't. A lot of times what we like to do when we're wishing we could have done better, done different, done nicer, we somehow attach success to a different set of circumstances with no knowledge that that success would have happened. It's just a different set of circumstances. That doesn't mean that you would have succeeded. That doesn't mean I could have gone ahead and said yes, gone through the same divorce, but years early, and then the daughter that I do have would not exist, at least not having the DNA that she has and the personality that she has. There's no way to speculate. Divorced people are traumatized. Divorced people are in pain. Divorced people date under the premise of what if. Divorced people date under the premise of what now? What now? What do I do now? I had everything, and now I have nothing. It's crazy out here in these streets. Whether you choose to divorce or whether you don't choose to divorce, whether it's pretty or whether it's ugly, once you're back out here in these streets, you realize that it's not a place that you came from. It's different. It evolved into something while you were off being married. No matter how great or terrible your marriage was, these streets became an animal unto themselves while you were gone. What if is a preposterous notion in dating after divorce? What if keeps you locked in the past and stuck on the person that you're no longer with versus free to explore and experience all the people that want to meet you? What if will have you believing words that were hurled in you and hurled at you in anger that you're not good enough and you are never enough and you're a day late and a dollar short? What if will keep your heart closed for the next person who actually is built to be with you? What if will keep your heart encased in thorns? What if you took the mistakes of your past and promised to learn from them? What if you took those words that were said to you in anger and said to those words, not true? What if you decided to dedicate yourself 100% to being the best version of yourself for yourself? What if you stopped worrying about what someone else may or may not do to you and make sure you have guardrails and boundaries and protections and therapy and all the things that keep you safe and keep you strong and keep you guarded and keep you aware and self-aware? What if you put all of those things into place so that even if somebody attempts to or inadvertently hurts you, you have the tools in place to bounce back? What if you took the unforgiving minute Filled it with 60 seconds worth of distance run. That's from If by Rudyard Kipling. Translation, what if you took now and gave it your all and let go of what 
was done to you or what you did to someone else. These hauntings, these past things, they're teachers. And and even when a sheet of paper falls from a high shelf and bops you in the head and your heart breaks to see your child's writing on a sheet of paper filled with hope and despair and you know what came after that, you take all of that anger, you take all of that chaos, you take all of that pain. What if you took all of that and promised never again? What if you took your childhood trauma? What if you took generational trauma? What if you took it all and promised never again? What if you let someone that you meet be a jackass? And once you realize that they're a jackass, you walk away happily without saying a word to them. And you happily allow them to continue being a jackass. I mean, unless you feel compelled to let them know. What if? What if your focus was you so that you could do you? But not in the, oh, I'm going to do me. But what if your focus was to do you, to be the best type of person you possibly could be? What if you decided that you wanted to be the person that you wanted to meet and date and laugh with and experience life with and be a kid with and travel with? What if? What if? Hey, thank you for listening to the Dating After Divorce Survival Guide. Eric Payne, and this has been episode six of season four. I want to thank you for listening. If anything that you heard here is something that makes sense to you, something that resonates, something that you like, something that you think someone can benefit from, please share with a couple of friends. Please share with that one friend. Please let them know that life isn't over just because someone told them no. Let them know that dating is actually, you know, a process that helps you get to know who you are. Helps you become a better version of yourself. Because you can speak in a vacuum all you want about who you are. But it doesn't get tested until you spend time around someone else. And sometimes that person that you spend in time with can enhance that. They can also challenge that. And they can also attempt to throw it in the trash. Either way, you don't know who you are until you have to show up as somebody to someone else. So you might actually find out who you are when you're dating. And that's personally why I haven't shied away from it. And that's why when things haven't gone right or when things have gone well or whatever the response has been, I've learned just that much more about myself. And I consider it a blessing. Thank you for listening. I wish you well. Happy holidays. Happy Thanksgiving for those of you who celebrate. As I shared earlier in the show, I'm going to be in Los Angeles on Saturday, November 13th, 2021. For more details, you'll have to rewind. As always, be great, be amazing, be blessed, be bountiful, be honest, be true, be vulnerable, be happy, be thankful, be grateful that you're on this path. If you're on a path of dating, if you're on a path that doesn't seem like it makes sense, then listen, embrace that because you're going to learn so much about yourself if you just put yourself in 100% and do your best to not run away from the pain of self-discovery be great be amazing be spectacular be on point be incredible be you be blessed happy holidays happy thanksgiving stay warm and dry out there people much love to you and your families peace